First of all, let's just imagine that we've got 10 tracks of our brain, okay? You know, that our brain can do 10 things at one time. One of those tracks, if you're a writer, should be always sensitive to and aware of ideas. They're out there. They're out there all over the place. They're in newspaper articles. They're in conversations you hear with people at the coffee shop. They're on the radio. They're on click, your click, 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 click thing that happens. I know, for example, I know David Rabinowitz and Charlie Wachtel who wrote Black Klansman. And I interviewed them and I said, well, how did you guys come up with it? And I think David said, well, I was trying to avoid writing, and so I was just doing the click, click, click thing, and I stumbled on this Facebook article about this guy, Ron Stallworth, who was the first black policeman in Colorado Springs who then did this thing with the Ku Klux Klan. So that's how they discovered it. So one thing is just be conscious of it. The other thing is be intentional. You know, like every day, you should be thinking about story ideas. Now, People are not going to necessarily, you know, it's going to vary from person to person, but there have been times in my life where I literally said, I'm going to come up with an idea a day, every day. I'm going to come up. And, it's, and, and uh, a third point to that related is Dr. Linus Pauling, who's the only person to win two Nobel Prizes. And he has that saying, the best way to come up with a good idea is to come up with a lot of ideas. And so that's a third point that you can do is just generate a lot of ideas. Keep a file, like I've got a word file stretching back 20 some odd years with literally hundreds and hundreds of ideas, most of them awful. But you keep working that muscle and then eventually I think chances are that you're going to surface something. Now, then you have to assess the ideas. And so there's certain questions you can ask like, well, is this big enough to be a movie? You know, who's the audience for this? Um, what's the hook? You know, that central conceit. Like when I sold Canine, you know, um, I remember going into an executive's office and they said, God, what you guys did was so brilliant. You took the buddy action comedy formula, the police cop, and you put in Ren 1010, who was like the biggest star in Hollywood back in the late 20s and 30s. And I learned a very valuable lesson there, which is that you always, when somebody gives you a compliment, even if you didn't mean it, you go, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. So <laughs> I said, yeah, that's exactly what we were thinking because I hadn't thought that at all. But, um, you know, you, that idea, I, I could walk in at that point in time in 1987, I could have walked into any producer's office or any bar where people were hanging out. What are you working on? I said, yeah, I got this idea, canine. Loner cop, new partner, police dog. They would see that. So the, the hook there is the police dog. Nobody had done that, you know. So you look for like um, inception, the idea of being able to go inside someone's groundhog day, we're living the same, that thing, what's that thing that's gonna set it off from you know, something else? So those are some keys, you know, have one part of your brain going, be intentional about it, um, you know, be generating a lot of ideas and hoping that you'll come up with you know, some really good ones, some strong ones off that, and then assess them to make sure that you feel like it's big enough and good enough to be a movie. My first step in writing a screenplay is, is coming up, basically coming up with a hundred ideas and picking the best idea. Um, I have a thing called the hundred idea theory. It doesn't necessarily, doesn't have to be a hundred ideas, but if I come up with one idea, that's one idea and it could be a terrible idea. If I come up with a hundred ideas or 
60 ideas or whatever, I can comb through and find the very best idea. And then I take it to Thunderdome. Um, I take that idea and I go, if I write the script of this, everyone's going to say is going to pick it apart. So I want to pick it apart first. I want to find all the flaws with whatever ideas the idea is and try to get past those flaws and, and remove them so that the idea is great. That is actually the bane of the writer's existence, especially the screenwriter, uh, to come up with something new. I mean, when you think about, um, I think in, uh, in the, the second edition of the 101 Habits, Bill Marsili, one of, the, one of the screenwriters there, talks about doing the 20s. Uh, so for him, like everything that he thinks about, any event, uh, any scene, character, whatever, he thinks of kind of listing 20 different ways of doing it. Like if it's like, a, you know, talk about the meet cute, right, in a romantic comedy, how people meet in a cute way. Well, he's going to do 20 different thoughts about it. Okay, they can be this, they can be this. I mean, you have to do, he does 20 because the, the first two or three or five of them will be cliches will be things that, you know, you're automatically going to think about them because they're the most famous ones. They're the most that we've seen a hundred times. But by going deeper, and he forces himself to go deeper, that's where you get the creativity and the originality. And eventually, when you reach that past the 10 or 12, 15, all the way up to 20, you'll, you'll start getting some really original ways because you force yourself. And so that's, that's what a writer needs to do. You got to force yourself to go deeper in order to create some original writing. Do the 20 for anything, you know, 20 different ways to rob a bank, 20 different ways to, uh, to say I love you, 20 different ways to break up with someone, 20 different ways to kill someone. I mean, there's all these things that you've seen a hundred times and when you see it over and over, you go, you know, you're, you go, huh, you know, because you've seen it a hundred times. And it's only the really, the, the movies that break out, stories, the stories that break out are the ones that are kind of truly original, right? To me, where it starts is a really compelling problem that is going to take the whole story to be solved. That millions of strangers consuming that story would be able to identify with this problem and care that it gets solved and be really entertained by the process of watching people try to solve it. So that's kind of a lot of things in one, but to me, that's kind of where it all starts with. There's something that someone's going through in life that really matters to them and hopefully to us as the audience. It's really important. It's really difficult. It's going to take a lot of effort and active uh, action toward trying to solve it, which isn't going to work. So it's difficult. It's complicated. Trying to solve it usually leads to pushback and complications and things that don't go as planned. And so that tends to build the sense of problematic situation. So it's growing and escalating building over the course of the story. And then in the end, there's some kind of resolution that has taken the audience on a journey and usually taken certain characters on a journey where they're not the same as what they were. And therefore it was meaningful and important in some way that they went through that. There's certainly the wow factor of that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. And I have to have that. I have to have that right now. How do I get that story? How do I get that book or magazine or true life story? Um, when I when I heard the story of Christine Pelisek being a, a fact checker at 23 years old and working at LA Weekly and breaking the grim sleeper uh, serial killer in Los Angeles, I, I didn't need to know anymore. But then there's stories that will 
I just can't let go of. I'll go back to and go back to him. But it was the, the hopefully the next movie I'm going to make uh, in the Amazon was a story that I chased for five years. And uh, it was a true life story. And I just couldn't let it go. And uh, some other producer got it and uh, failed at developing it. And I would call every six months. And after about a year and a half, they abandoned the other producer and went with me. And uh, it really, I just could not let it go. It was a story I had to tell. One way or the other, I was going to tell that story. That's the true story of Julianne Kepke, who in 1972 was living in Peru, going to the American school. She was 18, uh, was in her senior year. Her parents were noted zoologists. She had lived part of her childhood in the Amazon. Her parents were cataloging butterflies and bats. And then when she got to middle school, they moved her to Lima and she grew up there, spoke perfect German, perfect English, perfect Spanish. And uh, because it was, uh, they're on a different schedule than us because their seasons are different than us, uh, their school year ends in December. So she was both graduating and going to her prom in December and uh, her dad wanted them to go to the Amazon uh, on Christmas Eve, and she wanted to stay. And so he went early, and she and her mom stayed behind in Lima, and she went to her prom, graduated with her friends, and then they got on a plane. And when the plane was over the Amazon, it was hit by lightning twice and disintegrated in midair, and she was in the window seat, still strapped in. And as she said, the I didn't leave the plane, the plane left me. And she found herself uh, at 15,000 feet uh, in her chair, upside down, pinwheeling. And uh, she fell, blacked out, fell, hit the canopy of the Amazon, which broke her fall. It's a miracle, absolutely. She's the, the longest free fall without a parachute. And the canopy broke her fall. And she uh, landed in the Amazon, woke up, had nothing but a broken collarbone that she knew of. She had one shoe, lost her glasses, and for the next nine days followed the river and the lessons that she learned from her father and her own desire not to die and was rescued. And uh, she's a friend of mine now. She's now in her 50s and she's an extraordinary woman. She spends half her year in Munich and the other half in the Amazon just trying to save the rainforest. And uh, we're going to go down to Bogota and, uh, and, and the Amazon and uh, hopefully tell that story at the beginning of next year. I think for me, our movie really begins uh, with an idea or the story, the key story element uh, or the what if. Like this is kind of like a thought. Um, and sometimes like uh, Lo will bring, you know, will have an idea or have a dream uh, and say, oh, there's this really great. And like, I always jot it down. Like I jot down her ideas and, and her dreams and my dreams when I have an idea or a thought I wake up from or if I'm daydreaming and, and, and like, oh, you know. So I kind of try to write all those little thoughts down. And then eventually what I find happens is there's some of those ones that get written down. There's one that kind of keeps chirping. Keeps like, hey. And like, and like more ideas come to it. And at a certain point it reaches critical mass. I mean, usually when I have like, 10 or 12 pages of ideas relating to a particular story, it kind of reaches the critical mass where I start going, okay, now we're gonna figure out the, you know, what this is, is a real script. You know, all these ideas are great. And then figuring out coalesces into the script. And then it kind of evolves. Like I, I work with Lo, like ever, you know, when I finish the first draft is very useful because she usually gives fresh eyes on it at that point. 
So it's great to get like a fresh perspective. And then the story grows. And then of course, as you are inspired by locations or or real things you experience, and oftentimes when you as it progresses, like when you start casting, like an actor can be a huge like influence in terms of like, oh, this person is like changes that character. This could make the movie turn into this. So all those things kind of and it just kind of grows. So it's fun. So it's my probably my favorite part. A lot of them just stem from stories that I would love to see as a, as a filmmaker that I would love to go to the movies and watch. And, you know, a lot of them comes from movies that I've watched over and over and over again, or, 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 you know, a lot of the inspiration comes from, from movies in general, you know, you watch a scene and you think to yourself, Oh, you know what? Well, that would be really interesting to it. Even, even a line of dialogue that a character could say, you know, you take that and you go, you know, that, that, that in and of itself could be a story. Like that's something that would be interesting to explore. So, we just try and find things that, that we would love to see as, as, as filmmakers and writers and, and, and stories that we would, we would love to, to, to be told, you know? You know, there's, there's actually a really interesting old Canadian movie. I say old, it was about in the late nineties. And it was called When Good Ghouls Go Bad. And it stars Christopher Lloyd, who is one of the most amazing actors. It's a, it's, you know, everybody knows him as Doc Brown and Back to the Future, but a lot of his stuff, his serious work and, and his comedic work is, is just fantastic. So, but he has a, he has a line where he's speaking to his son and his son basically says, you know, you used to be this go-getter. You used to be, you know, and the town is dealing with the death of this kid who he got stuck in this like kiln overnight and the dad. And so the, the, the town sort of deals with that heavy weight and the dad basically says, you know, you used to be happy. You used to be um, a go-getter. You used to build things and make things and, and help people. And, the, and Christopher Lloyd says, yeah, and I built the kiln that that kid died in. And it's one of those moments in that movie where, you know, you don't need, he didn't need to say that. That didn't need to be a part of the movie, but it was. And that right there, you, look, you go, oh man, like that in and of itself, dealing with the trauma of, of, of doing something you love and then that thing you love kills somebody, you know, that in and of itself could be an incredible story. So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of things in movies and I, I try, I try my best to write them down when I, when I feel them and I see them and I, I hear them, but that would, that would definitely be a, 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 an example of something that is all that has inspired me. You want to come up with an idea for a story, um, but you don't really know where to start. So one good place to start that I have in my book is, the comp game. So for those who don't know what a comp is, a comp is this meets that. You know, so like a movie is Harry meets Sally meets Air Bud. What is that movie gonna be? <laughs> so there's your assignment. You come up with, and this is a, um, since my fiance's sitting here, I'll tell this story. Okay. Uh, so a script I have out uh, that I'm passing around is called Run. Uh, it is a story about a detective who is being forced to run nonstop uh, in order to save her daughter from a killer. Um, my, it's placed in several contests at this point. Um, I, I've been semi-finalist uh, in, in like three of them and quarter-finalist in another two. Um, and it's a script that like a lot of people seem to like. Um, where did that story come from? Okay, so we were playing the comp game one day, driving to a networking event, stuck in traffic. So we were playing a comp game, coming up with 
I was coming up with bizarre things. She was coming up with bizarre things. I think at one point I told her she needed to do, I might've actually said air bud meets something else. So she gave me, okay, saw meets speed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, so speed is, you know, the dude in the, the bus that can't slow down or it's gonna blow up. Saw is this killer guy who has these people and making them do obstacles to save their own lives. So I mesh them together. I now have a woman who can't stop running or her daughter will die. And she has to, along with running, has to do these various like uh, feats that he makes her do and stuff like, oh, she has to run to this point in this amount of time and go. If you don't, then your daughter's friend who I also have kidnapped is gonna die. So I'm combining those two things. So there's your homework. Let's give you like a couple of uh, <laughs> comps or whatever to come up with, so. Okay, so how about 16 Candles meets Home Alone. Okay, 16 Candles and Home Alone. So we're gonna take those two movies and we're gonna merge them together. So 16 Candles, you got a story about a girl who, it's her birthday and everyone seems to have forgotten that it's her birthday. Uh, Home Alone is a guy who, his parents go on vacation and leave him there. <laughs> awesome, all right. So, we got a kid who's home alone, it's his birthday. All right, so we've got kid's birthday, uh, he wakes up, nobody remembers it's his birthday, he goes off, he comes home to a house that is full of stuff for a surprise party, but everyone else is gone. They set up and they left him alone. So while he's at the surprise party waiting around at his own party, uh, some people try to break into his house. Luckily, he's got things already around now that he can use to defend himself. He has a banner that he turns into a giant slingshot to shoot the uh, bad guys across the street. Uh, they come in, oh look, here's birthday cake with, with uh, trick candles on it. So he lights the trick candles, now he's got a Roman candle torch that he can use as, as defense and, and shoot it off like a big firework at people. Uh, and then the parents, once he's defeated the bad guys and they come home, Everybody comes home forgetting that they set up for this birthday party. Don't know why there's all this mess here until the mom finds the uh, the banner at the end. And then, oh, by the way, your birthday present happens to be something he destroyed while trying to do it. Idea off the top of my head, it probably sucks. I know it sucks, but that's kind of what the comp game is. You come up with things, they may not be good. They may be amazing. It's kind of a thing of trying to figure out how to meld the two things together because there isn't, I'm a firm believer that there are no more original stories left to tell because we've been telling stories since the dawn of time. The trick is to find new ways into the stories. And the reason I have the comp game is a fantastic way of doing that is taking two stories that already exist and finding where they meet in the middle. Was it the Venn diagram where they've got the circles and things wow. over here? So finding those things is, is a great way to, to create your own story by melding other stories already existing. Obviously don't be, don't be super obvious about it like I just was with this 16 Candles Home Alone. Um, like I said, with the run, I, I knew it had to be something that couldn't stop moving from speed and there had to be a serial killer with obstacles like Saw and so I created a whole new character that went into there uh, and how to mesh them together. Like she's no longer on a bus, now she's running. You know, So find the, the original idea in them. Um, another thing you can do is Coming up, finding a movie you like, but that has a shit ending. Can I say shit? I'm sorry, I still have a crappy ending. <laughs> um, and uh, tweak it to, okay, how would you have ended this story? Can you now write a story that ends that way and has a different beginning? You know, so, so you can always borrow from other things. Like, um, 
even and people in borrowing even even uh, William Shakespeare was borrowing from people you know uh, Romeo and Juliet was not an original thing he stole Romeo and Juliet from like a Greek mythology thing and then just made his own tweaks to it you know so we can make our own tweaks to everything so your homework is to find a story that already exists right. find a way to spin it and make it a completely a new original story okay Argo and sleeping with the enemy <laughs> Oh crap, can we just cut? I don't want to do that anymore. Oh geez. <laughs> we can end it there, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to throw out that one. <laughs> okay, no, now we I'm got thinking it. about <laughs> it though. No, I'm thinking just, about that, that was one. Just, that was just for fun. No, we won't do that one. <laughs> so somebody got kidnapped and it, was, it turns out that it was his lover but in order to in order to save his lover, he has to make a movie that involves his lover. This actually sounds like a good one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is a fun game. This should be a party game. Yeah, that's, you should, I, I can see Michael's craft. There's a similar party game. Uh, Pitch Storm yeah. is similar. Yeah. That one it doesn't do it doesn't do quite the same thing. It doesn't take movies and make you combine them. Pitch Storm is. Uh, it's a card game where on each on the cards they have different elements like a certain type of character and a certain scenario oh. and you have to come up with the story that uses that and you're pitching it and then um, it has kind of like a an apples to apples component so there's a judge and the judge is actually throwing out things to they're actually being the executive you know right. and so while you're telling the story at any point they can stop you be like oh but what if and then they have an executive card that has like some random thing that they throw in there some note that they're like oh what if you know you're t so I'm telling my story of run you know the, the woman who's let's say let's say my thing was a detective and and running and so like I'm telling the story okay so she's running and the detective or the uh, bad guy calls her and tells her she has to get to this certain point and he goes oh let me stop you what if suddenly aliens <laughs> dropped out so you know it's a bizarre little game like that it's a similar concept specifically all roads to Perla um, is set in Texas uh, it's it was more of my ode to my time there and the things that I was uh, experiencing on the road as a, as a traveling photographer of different assignments I, I would get all these I would meet all these people with all these faces and I didn't want that to end one assignment that really had an impact was um, sex trafficking in um, Houston and uh, that left a pretty big imprint on me and and uh, I went down there they were like hey man could you do this assignment it's uh, down near Houston in Harris County. There's 80, about 80 massage parlors in, in a two-mile radius. And then, um, but they're illegal. They're brothels and things like that. So I, I would, then next four, four or five days later, I found myself in a parking lot sitting in a sheriff's car about to go on a raid. And we get on, and, and we, we get in and just what I experienced, you know, it's like the underbelly of, of, of life and the world. And it was just, um, pretty interesting you know and, and then I had other assignments about like exonerees so I was always drawn to human interest stories stories that were really um, maybe you know they're not ha happy but it's happening you know it's, it's that's out there um, and that's what gets me uh, gets me kind of intrigued because uh, um, of, of these you know we we, we all can't be um, you know, living such a 
privileged life, everyone, everyone's got their own uh, struggles. So I, I was able to see that and, and my, my duty was at the time to visually capture that. And then, but I wanted to write about, write stories about people who are, who are um, flawed, you know, that's, I guess everyone does that, but, but specifically at the time, Texas, you know, it, 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 it really seeped in into the storytelling because I was on the road there a lot. And that's, I think, what also uh, Charles Bukowski talked about, just like he'd worked so many of these odd jobs and he felt that the stories of the working class really seeped into all of his writing because that's who he was around. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I, that's why we were talking before. Well, how do you get back? You, you live, you know, I was out of school. I, I was 22 and, and I was writing at the American Bankers Association in Washington D.C. about uh, Washington D.C. about banking news. I did it for three years. Moved to New York to try to play music. Moved to New York and never played music again because I was 25 at that time. Because I found the camera, and I got obsessed with the camera. And then uh, you know I worked as a floor assistant, a busboy, delivery person, uh, anything. And once I told my mom I wasn't going to. Uh, uh, I'm actually applying for a busboy position. She was like, what? Oh my goodness, what are you doing? She was like, I was like, I just need a change, you know? And then, um, and that, and that led me to waiting tables. You meet so many different people that let then, you know, just all different types of jobs I would try to do. Um, and then, and that's how, that's how you get stories. That's because you looked at, you see it, you see interesting folks, you know, and then it's much better then you kick in the daydreaming, and then you have some sort of uh, idea of what it is in that type of world, you know? Like, I still remember being in that parlor and seeing, well, you know, the, the women that were just trapped there and th these guys, and all I could smell is like lotion. And, you know, these things, it's just stick with you. You know, I'm very visual, but the sensory of smell and place and these confines, and then, you're in a prison or you're doing other things there's 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 life is life is definitely interesting you know and I think that's why I was you know trying to explore with with the stories I I want to tell I have a sounding board who is <laughs> I guess he's kind of my secret weapon but he's he's someone who's you know, he's seen, he's seen all my short films and he's always the first person I go to with, with an idea, like even a treatment uh, stage to be like, is this any good or is this like really terrible? And if it is really terrible, can I salvage it? You know, is there a way to make it better? And it's, um, it's a very good friend called Faisal A. Qureshi and he's, he's a professional screenwriter. And he's based in the UK. He's also directed uh, films. And he, I think it's very important as a writer to be able to show someone that you trust something that you're not entirely sure if it's any good or not. Because he, know, he knows me well enough now that he knows that he can be really harsh and it's okay. Because at the end of the day, I just want to know if I'm wasting my time or not. Um, and he has been very harsh and I really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> Because I have had instances where it's like I've sent him a treatment and he'll tell me what's wrong with it, <laughs> like in a very kind of brutal way. But then that's good because it helps me figure out how I can make it 
better and I have actually been able to like make it better and like get onto fellowships with treatments that before he was like mm. <laughs> I don't think so yeah and do you does he reciprocate in terms of he sends you his scripts he does yeah he has sent me his materials uh, before so definitely I think that that's so important is to have someone because I think definitely I, I always feel like in this industry you only really get like one chance to like impress people so you want to send them you want to put your best foot forward and that's why it's important to have someone who whose opinion you trust and whose craft you you really admire and you recognize that they're really talented and they're really intelligent and you can just show them like your worst stuff and they will you know give you suggestions um, and will tell you maybe what you could do to make it a little bit better. Does he ever ask you to be more harsh? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, like just just tell me the like I don't like did he have to encourage or because I could see you not wanting to hurt someone's feelings? Absolutely, <laughs> very much so. And it, and yet he's like, you know, like you're like just be honest, like please <laughs> just like tell me. Because I do, I do always think like oh, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that'd be really important to have a, a, a you know, working relationship or just a friendship with someone where you could give them and you know that mm -hmm. they're not trying to wound you to stop you, but mm -hmm. they're just trying to help make you better. Mm -hmm. and I think that's a rare thing to find. Absolutely. So that's why, you know, big shout out to, to Faisal. Nice. And I think someone who kind of, you know, because they, they've read your previous work and they've seen like your previous films, that they kind of, they, they know what you're trying to do. And, and because of that, they can tell you, I know, I think I know what you're trying to do, but you're maybe not doing it the best way that you could do it. So let me just, you know, ask you some questions and, and you know, make some suggestions because I think I know where you're trying to get. I think that's very important because, I mean, there are some people who you just don't understand your work and don't understand your films and, you know, don't want to. And they're maybe not the best people to get feedback from. How do you know personally when your movie idea isn't working? Not, not so much if you've given it to someone as a sounding board, but personally. I think that it's when you, you yourself are writing it and you are not excited by what you're writing. I think that, I think you know that it's working when you're like, you know, I, oh, I really want to keep, you know, I want to keep going. I want to know, I personally want to know what happens next. But if you're kind of like trudging through it and you're like, oh, God, I have to write another five pages or I have to write, you know, another another, you know, five, five like, you know, five paragraphs of this treatment. If you yourself are having that thought, trust me, whoever is reading it is going to also have the same thought of, oh, God, I have to read another five pages before this is over. Yeah. Have you ever abandoned an idea like you've been excited about it for a little while and then realized your heart wasn't in it? I think, yeah, definitely, but I think more with like, um, I mean, I have had that with a feature script, yeah, which I was like, I, this is not working as a feature, but I managed to kind of recycle it into something else. Um, and then also short films, like, you know, if you've, if you've, you know, written a short film script, that was a collaboration with, with a friend, and then you apply to a lot of funding and you just keep getting rejected, and then it's like, okay, well, then let's just not. So the universe was telling you something or at you least like, you okay. took it that way? And then you just move on to the next project because that got funding. Okay, well then I'll just do that. Yeah. 